Welcome back to another episode on What the Autism. This podcast is for anyone who's struggling with understanding what autism is and how we can better empower our autism community through research-proven methods. In each episode, I'll be sharing with you groundbreaking research and how the diagnosis of autism can often be misunderstood. If you're a new listener to our podcast, I highly recommend you start from episode one to catch up to speed on various terminology and concepts. Today, we'll be talking about some common myths that people have about the autism diagnosis and how research has debunked them. Today's topic has been voted on by our Instagram community, so if you'd like to be a part of upcoming voting polls to determine various discussion topics and the future decisions of our podcast channel, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at What the Autism. Now let's start talking about autism myths. The first one is that autism only affects children. This could not be any more false. When a child has autism and grows up, they just become an adult with autism. However, to our families out there, I want you to remain hopeful for your child's progress. I did have a handful of patients that started receiving ABA treatment under my care at a really young age and were able to be reassessed with the same assessment that got them diagnosed with autism and they no longer qualified to be diagnosed with autism. But a common question I get is, can't autism quote unquote come back? Yes and no. I have definitely witnessed children who successfully completed our ABA program um, and they were reassessed and no longer met the requirements to be diagnosed with autism, but then a couple of years later, they needed to return back for a brief treatment. Typically, what happens in these situations is that these children return mainly due to higher level cognitive and social skills that they were not able to acquire during the time that they were developing outside of the treatment in order to keep up with their neurotypical peers. So this isn't always the case. There has definitely been more cases than not where my patients successfully graduated their treatment program, and I've yet to hear back from the parents. This is where I say no news is good news, but autism only affecting children, that's completely false. And this is the reason why we need to remain vigilant about supporting our children when they're rapidly developing so that they don't have to experience the difficulty that comes with independent living, employment, relationships, finances, and all the things that comes with adulthood. The second myth is that autism is just an issue with the brain. Yes, autism is a neurological disorder, but most individuals with autism have comorbidities, which means that there is a simultaneous presence of two or more diseases or medical conditions in a patient. So children with autism typically have coexisting conditions such as epilepsy, sleeping disorders or problems, gastrointestinal issues, food sensitivities, ADHD, clinically diagnosed with anxiety disorder, and many more. Um, So going over some common statistics that we found, epilepsy affects about 25 to 40% of patients with autism compared to two to 3% of the general population. Um, Things like chronic sleep problems affect anywhere from 50 to 80% of children with autism. Gastrointestinal disorders affect as many as 85% of patients with autism. So these are very common things that we see um, amongst our autism community, but autism isn't just an issue with the brain. There's definitely other coexisting um, diseases or medical conditions in patients that are very common. The Children's Hospital of Philadelphia released an article back in 2017 covering some of these percentages and research articles that investigate further into these correlations, so I'll leave the link on our Facebook page if you want more information. Another common myth that I've heard in the past is that autism is caused by bad parenting, and this is completely false. 
For the parents out there, I hope you come around to seeing that your child's autism diagnosis is not your fault. But what matters is what steps you take in helping treat your child's diagnosis. A research article published in September 2017 found that there was no difference in parenting styles between parents of typically developing children and parents of children with ASD or anxiety disorder. I'll post this research article on our Facebook page as well, but parents do not carry that burden and guilt thinking that your child's diagnosis is your fault. But do you take matters into your own hands and get your child treatment as soon as possible? You're your child's biggest advocate and know that there are teams of providers wanting to help you and your child. Do your research and be proactive about ensuring that your child's ongoing treatment is up to standards with the support that they need. The next myth I want to talk about is a huge controversial topic that's been around since the 90s, and that's vaccinations. While there is no known single cause of autism, there's no evidence to support a link between vaccines and autism. The controversial debate on if vaccines cause autism came in around February 1998 when a British gastroenterologist, Andrew Wakefield, and his colleagues published a paper that described 8 out of his 12 child participants whose first symptoms of autism appeared within one month after receiving, an, um, after receiving the MMR vaccine. The participants had gastrointestinal symptoms, and so from these observations, Wakefield determined that the MMR vaccine caused intestinal inflammation, which led to a translocation of peptides into the bloodstream, which then to the brain, which resulted in affected development. But there were multiple issues with their study. First, there was no control group, which should always be included in every study to validate the findings. And second, the study inaccurately established the correlation of autism with the MMR vaccine. The vaccine was being administered during the same developmental time to when children are beginning to display symptoms of autism. So because of these various issues, the research study had been retracted back in 2010. But it's definitely an interesting controversial topic that's been around for many years now, and it's played a huge role in being a large stepping stone to some of the greatest autism research findings to date. But I'll be posting a couple of review articles and studies that review these false claims on our Facebook page as well. So I highly recommend you tap into our um, Facebook page and take a look at these um, review articles and studies. Another common myth I hear from people is that all people with autism are extremely talented and gifted with their memory skills, numbers, music, art. And although this may be true for a population of our children, this characteristic doesn't necessarily represent the entire spectrum. People that may be unfamiliar with autism may immediately think of movies like Rain Man, where actor Dustin Hoffman plays the role of an autistic man named Raymond. Um, or another recent show that's gotten some spotlight is Good Doctor, played by Freddie Highmore. Although both character um, both characters display similarities to some of our very gifted children on the spectrum, this is just a small percentage of the autism population. Many of the others are on the complete opposite side of the spectrum, where they don't have the ability to communicate their basic wants and needs. So I do applaud the entertainment industry, though, for um, trying to bring more awareness to what a person with special needs may be thinking and experiencing in life. But don't let these shows dictate these stereotypes as a quote-unquote speak for all. 
The last myth I want to review on today's episode is one of the ones that I've heard the most, especially as a BCBA that's been providing ABA treatment to over a hundred of different clients, um, is that when children with autism get ABA treatment, they turn into robots. I'm going to be very honest with you. In all of my experience collaborating with many different BCBAs and different types of ABA agencies, a child talking and acting very quote-unquote robot-like is highly dependent on your clinician and provider. In episode three, we briefly talked about what quote-unquote good and bad ABA looks like, Um, so I recommend you going back to episode three if you skipped over that episode. Um, But in next week's episode, I'll cover more specifically into the ABA treatment so that you can have more information to determine if ABA would be the right treatment for your child. But going back to these robot-like behaviors... As a BCBA, this is one of the pointers that I follow when I'm programming for a patient's program. First, for any learner that is four years or younger, the first steps comprise of a combination of memorization and natural environment teaching strategies. And when I say memorization, this is to ensure that the child has enough language and a repertoire of skills to at least be able to demonstrate the basic language, play, and social skills to have the natural opportunities to engage with other peers. However, as a child grows older in their treatment and they gain the basic cognitive skills, this is where we start teaching a child how to identify the reasons of why they have to do the things that they do and say the things that they say. The next thing I look for is generalization and variability. Children that are on levels two and three on the spectrum that are highly um, and severely impacted um, typically engage in high rates of maladaptive behavior and low levels of functional communication. My initial programming will typically focus on very limited phrases and responses in order to establish a consistent method of communication. And this is to really ensure that the child is getting that consistent feedback to motivate him or her to continue using that language rather than the tantrums and the aggression and any other maladaptive behaviors to communicate. But the main thing to emphasize is that as a child's skill set increases, the variability in their responses should increase as well. But for children on levels one and two on the spectrum that are on a more moderate to higher level of language and vocal expression, I establish variability from the very beginning. A simple example um, to kind of represent this is rather than teaching a child to structure their request into the format of, can I have a cookie? Can I have water? Can I have Legos? It's important that we vary up the sentence structure and length to ensure that the child is producing age-appropriate language that's closely replicated to their peers. So instead of just teaching the can I structure, we embed um, we can embed variability to these requests. So phrases like, I want to play with the cars, or let's play with the cars, give me the cars, and so on, that will kind of help create this variability to the child's responses and, and requests. But every BCBA programs very differently. So if you have a clinician that programs differently than what I just reviewed, ask them for their clinical reasoning so that you have a better understanding of what to expect in your child's treatment. So let me just emphasize that good ABA treatment providers will ensure that they're embedding in that variability and generalization skills to ensure that the child is not exhibiting any robot-like behaviors, which I know that a lot of parents fear 
their child um, exhibiting and want to avoid that at all costs. So I know a lot of parents will steer away from ABA treatment because they hear about this myth all the time. But let me emphasize that ABA treatment has been research proven to be the most effective treatment um, for a kid or individual with autism. So today we discussed a handful of common myths about the autism diagnosis and were able to debunk them all with research. Um, Let me tell you, research is such a powerful force in pushing the boundaries of what we know. So regardless of your familiarity with research or your education background, I urge you to explore the research that is out there and familiarize yourself on the information that is out there as well. Um, But this wraps up another episode here at What the Autism. We upload a new episode on your favorite podcast platform every Wednesday. If you have any questions on today's episode and or you have any recommendations for future topics and discussion, please email us at whattheautismpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at whattheautism for any helpful resources and updates in regards to our discussion topics. And please note that this podcast has been created to discuss my personal experiences and opinions and is not a means of medical or psychological recommendations. So please consult your own physician or psychologist for any symptoms and recommendations. But if you enjoyed today's podcast, please make sure to follow and subscribe to our podcast channel and I'll see you in episode six.